The Hammer, Chapter 32 Don't move, a hoarse voice whispered in his ear, and a sharp point dug into his back. Place your arms out flat on top of the wall. Corvin did as he was ordered. The point pushed in harder as the person leaned over him, pulled up his sleeve, and removed Morgan's black knife. Turn around. The man turned to face a man in a green robe, his hood pulled low over his eyes. The man had unsheathed Morgan's black knife, and it was pointed directly at Corvan's heart. "'So now you are working for the chief watcher?' The voice was harsh and strained. "'What did the lizard promise you? What were you telling him?' "'I'm not working for the chief watcher,' Corvan protested. "'This watcher is my friend.' The man snorted. "'The watchers don't have friends. They only use us. You have been deceived, Kalian.' "'Jorid?' The hood swept back, revealing Jorid's angry face. I promised the high priest I would train you to be our Corvan. Instead, you have used me to aid the chief watcher in his plans to wipe out all the priests and kill Tirith. He jabbed the knife against Corvan's chest, pressing him tight against the stone wall. Jorid, I'm on my way to save Tirith. I promised Madame Torig upon the hammer. That's the truth. Jorid's lips curled back in a snarl. The only truth I know is that I've taken an oath to protect Tirith. I will do anything to save her from the Watchers and from those working for them. The knife pushed harder. And I said I would help you. Let's go together and rescue Tirith before it's too late. Jorid's eyes narrowed. I heard what your lizard friend said. He plans to wait for her under the water when you throw her in. Is that his reward for helping you? Does he get her body after she drowns? His voice rose higher with every word as he waved the knife between them. Instinctively, Corvin drew the hammer from its holster and held it up. In blind fury, George slashed at it, but a pulse of energy from the hammer twisted the knife from his hand and sent it skittering across the road. Corvin lowered the hammer and put it back in the holster. George, you've got to believe me. I'm going to save Tirith, not kill her. The priest's eyes narrowed. The priest's eyes narrowed. It is the worst evil when a man betrays his brother to get what he wants for himself. As Corvin opened his mouth to protest, the palace guards appeared on the slope at the end of the road. One raised his bow and drew back. Jorid, behind you! No more tricks, Kalian. I'm not. Corvin threw himself toward Jorid, spinning the man's body to the side. The arrow tore through the bunched-up hood behind the priest's neck and clattered to the ground. As Jorid whirled around to find its source, two more soldiers drew their bows. Jorid dropped to the ground beside the inner wall. Corvin leapt onto the outer wall and dove into the river. He hit the water cleanly and turned toward the far side, swimming hard against the current to get past the pillars supporting the bridge. Breathless, he pulled himself out of the river in a rocky bay where the water from the new city gushed out. The chains above him rattled as George clutched the sides of the bridge and tried to work himself around the missing floor panels. Above George's labored breathing, Corvin heard the soldiers shouting as they ran toward the trap priest. George called down to Corvin, his voice tight. Do as you have promised and rescue Tirith, but I swear, if you're lying to me, you will never get out of the core alive. I promise you, Jorid, I... Get out of sight, Jorid rasped. They're coming. Corvin pulled the cap from one of his small fire sticks, stuck it in his mouth, and waded into the water outlet. The current was stronger than he expected. Clamping the unlit fire stick into the opposite side of his mouth, he felt along the bottom for handholds to haul himself through the water. His lungs labored to pull enough air through the slender stick to fuel his efforts. Jamming his toes into the rocks, he flicked the cap off the second stick. 
His breathing came easier, in through the mouth and out through the nose, just as Sarek had instructed. The current slackened, and shafts of flickering light shot through the water from above. He stood and waded toward the half-finished wall of the pool. There were voices on the other side. He knew that tone in the words all too well. A group of bullies was teasing a child. Looking over the wall, Corvin saw a circle of boys gathered around a child huddled on the ground. One kicked the child, a small bedraggled boy clutching a flute. Gavin. A rush of anger propelled Corvin up and onto the wall with a splash. He towered over the boys, water pouring down his body, a smoking fire stick dangling from each corner of his mouth. The boys stared at him, their mouths gaping like dead fish. Corvin tried to say, leave him alone, but the fire sticks blocked his words. The sticks twisted down like glowing fangs, and what came out sounded more like, eat them bones. High-pitched screams erupted as a twisting mass of bodies scrambled over one another to get away from the flesh-eating monster. As their voices faded away over the stairs, Gavin rose to his feet, triumphantly holding the pan flute he'd been protecting from the bullies. Corvin jumped down from the wall. Gavin ran and hugged Corvin around his waist, then pulled back to stare at the water dripping from Corvin's cloak. His eyes followed the puddles that led to the pool. The blast of a trumpet rent the air. Gavin glanced fearfully toward the stairs, then tugged at Corvin's sleeve, pulling him down behind the stack of stone blocks. The horn blew again. The horn blew again. Corvin shifted to the left and found a crack between the blocks that exposed the narrow strip of the stairs. A short man with a horn and a carved staff appeared. The mayor, Madame Torrig, had met at the city gate. A noisy crowd gathered behind him. He hammered his staff for silence. His sarcastic voice carried over the noise of the crowd. Yes, I can see that something came from the pool, but none of us has ever seen a man-eating creature with smoking horns that swims in the water. Loud retorts came from his audience. The mayor changed his tone. I agree. I have no reason to doubt any of your boys. If this monster is still in the city, we should work together and find it. Perhaps we should consult Madame Torig, someone suggested. The man bristled. Madame Torig stands accused of breaking faith with our people and bringing strangers into our city. Her staff is broken and her authority has been removed. It may even be her fault this creature has found a way inside. Then maybe she knows how to get rid of it, another voice interjected. The mayor's face grew red. The mayor's face grew red. Madame Torig will remain under house arrest until she is tried by the elders. We will not waste time asking her advice. He gestured to one side. Tubal? You stand guard here in case the creature comes back. He faced the crowd. The rest of you divide into search parties and scour the city. Blow a horn if you see anything. He pounded his staff and the people filed out. When the crowd was gone, a stocky man stepped to the top of the stairs. He looked like the strong man Corvin had seen at the circus, except this one carried a barbed pike in his hand. The man took a step down to study the scene before him, his eyes shifting to the pool and then over to the pile of rocks. Corvin had left a trail of footprints that led directly to his hiding place. The man put his horn to his lips, then let it fall to his side. He squared his wide shoulders and raised his weapon as he descended the stairs. Corvin turned to tell Gavin to run, but the boy was gone. He glanced back through the crack and saw Gavin run up to Tubal. The young boy held his hand up to his head as if horns were sprouting from his hair. He loped about in circles, growling like a mad dog, then ran to the stairs and beckoned for Tubal to follow. The man gave one last glance toward the stack of blocks and climbed up after him. Corvin heard short tunes on the pan flute that faded away. Gavin was making sure he knew they were leaving the area. 
Corvin crept out, climbed the stairs on all fours, and peeked over the edge. The streets were empty. Jumping to his feet, he trotted along the road toward the city gates. If he were attacked, he could always take to the water and escape. The entrance to the city drew near. The gates stood open, but just inside a guard stood at attention. Corvin slowed his pace and hugged the low wall that separated the road from the waterway. The sound of running feet caught him off guard, but before he could get completely over the wall, Gavin came into sight. The boy motioned for Corvin to keep going, hopped the wall himself, and pulled Corvin down, putting a finger to his lips. A moment later, Corvin heard marching feet on the upper road. It grew louder, passed them, and faded away. He stole a glance over the wall, just in time to see a squad of armed soldiers enter the city gates. Corvin leaned back against the wall. Madame Torig and her grey men could not help him. Unless he could come up with a new plan, Tirith would die at the wasting. Gavin grabbed his sleeve and pointed up along the wall, where the water rushed out of a small cave and swept down a spillway to the channel below. The boy nodded, crouched low, and took off along the inside of the wall. It was all Corvin could do to keep up with the agile boy. Gavin ran like a spider monkey, his knuckles almost dragging on the ground beside him. He moved in this manner right up into the cave and disappeared inside. As he followed him in, Corvin understood why Gavin adopted this strange manner of locomotion. There was no other way to make it through the tunnel. The water was not shallow enough to crawl in, and the roof was too low for them to stand. Gavin was already out of sight, but Corvin could hear him splashing up ahead. The tunnel grew darker, and when the floor dropped off, there was no chance to catch himself. He slipped under the water. Corvin surfaced, choking and gasping for air. Treading water, he cleared his lungs. There was a bit more light here, enough to see that he was in yet another karst, much larger than the one at the settlement, with a high island rising out of the center. A tendril grabbed his ankle and yanked him below the surface. Corvin kicked furiously, and the creature released him. Surfacing, he swam like mad toward the island, his heart pounding as he imagined the snake-like arms pursuing him. Bright laughter filled the cavern as Corvin pulled himself out of the water and scrambled up the rocks. Gavin swam toward him, his mouth bubbling the water as he mimicked Corvin's panic flight. Relief flowed with embarrassment. Joining Corvin on the pile of stone blocks, Gavin shook out his hair like a scrawny dog, cleared the water from his ears, and pointed upward. Corvin followed his gesture through the circle of the karst. Familiar painted faces watched him. They were back underneath the great library. Gavin poked him in the side, his bony shoulders held up in an exaggerated shrug. I need to get to the wasting. The boy's eyes widened as he vigorously shook his head. He made motions with his fingers and hands of things swimming and being captured. Corvin grabbed his hands and held them still. I know about the monster in the water. I don't want to go down inside the water. I need to get to the top before they throw Tirith in. Gavin nodded and gestured for Corvin to follow. He clambered over a jumble of broken stone blocks and dove back into the water. Wearily, Corvin followed him. Across the water, a set of broken stairs led steadily upward. At times, they were almost impassable, but someone had gone through a lot of trouble to remove just enough debris for a small person to squeeze through. Corvin's legs burned from all the climbing and his lungs choked on the residual water, but he had to keep Gavin in sight. He shouted at Gavin to wait, but the boy just put a finger to his lips and climbed on. He was on his way to the wasting, but without anyone to help him. How could he possibly take on the chief watcher, the palace guards, and the Rakash by himself? He had no plan, and even if he did, every plan he'd made so far had fallen apart. 
Just take the next step, he thought. Just keep moving forward. The stairs became narrow channels that were mostly level. Soon the rough stone walls were replaced by smooth brick. Other passages joined in, and Corvin lost all sense of how many turns they'd taken. He was falling behind. If Gavin lost him, he'd never find his way out. The boy disappeared around another corner, and Corvin ran forward. Around the bend, an empty corridor climbed a flight of steps and ended in a circle of pale light. Corvin crept forward, trying to keep his labored breathing as quiet as possible as he ascended the stairs. Reaching the top, he stepped through the jagged hole and found himself back in the hall of the high priest.